Let's record the intro. Okay. So this is my opportunity to say three, two, one, and then we all we say let's go. We get real charged up. Okay. So I got to do that with the mayor of Midland right now. So I have to get charged up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Right. I want to hear that boomer sooner. <laughs> charged up. Three, two, one. Let's go. This is kickoff. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Three, two, one. Let's, let's go. go! Let's go! Yeah, the mayor of Midland <laughs> coming in. Boomer Sooner. <laughs> oh, man. Ay, ay, ay. All right. I am the host of the BB Podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, and I'm sitting down with the mayor of Midland, Patrick Payton. Sir, it has been an honor to share this time with you and to get your perspective and to understand your philosophy and who you are as a person. Uh, I really did enjoy our time together. How long are you going to be mayor? How long have you been mayor and how long are you going to be mayor? Uh, <laughs> I was inaugurated January 2020. Uh, I'm the mayor for three years, three-year terms. Okay. Uh, you can serve a maximum of three three-year terms, which begs the question, are we going to run for a second term? And like any seasoned politician, I don't answer that question until I have to answer that question. <laughs> Right on. Well, uh, thanks for joining the PB podcast. You know, it's the podcast is all about geoscience, engineering, technology that's developing, that's innovative, that's revolutionary, that's making step changes in our industry, that's allowing us to be a lot more successful, a lot more predictable, a lot of excitement in the Permian Basin. I mean, that's where we were born, but we talk about world uh, ability. We talk about worldwide innovations, different yep. ways of thinking that the, the Russians have a different model than we do, right? Every, everybody does, right? It's very, very interesting. The politics of the geopolitics, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so for this show, we got to understand what you're doing for the actual politics. And you're going to Washington, D.C. in two days to start informing people, to start sitting down and say, hey, do you realize the Permian Basin is the most efficient area on the planet when it comes to generating the energy we use as people and you go whoa what do you mean and then bang you got them i mean right. the second you get them to go wait tell me more right you got them so you're gonna have very successful time in washington dc i can feel it i'm making a prediction i feel good about it <laughs> okay good good <laughs> good i uh, feel good about it uh, for now so tell uh so so from this conversation you know did anything change do you, do you feel more confident going into dc what did you get from this show sitting down pb podcast the wtgs fall symposium the vibe you're feeling mm -hmm. uh, what's your perspective here? no I, honestly the vibe that i feel as as we wind this up and as i watch what's going on in this hall is the same vibe i've been building on really over the last year and that is the fact that the people who are who are doing the work in this industry and i have nothing against ceos and boards of directors but the people who are showing up eight to five and who are in their cubicles or who are out in the field and who are wearing their fr clothing and who are wearing their steel-toed boots they're kind of thankful that somebody is saying no 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 it's time to fight because yeah. we power this world and so i think that that's and, and I don't meet people saying, no, don't do that. I meet them saying, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for fighting for us. And so that's, um, I'm, I'm excited to partner with Congressman August Fluger and uh, Congressman Gonzalez, who are excited about what we're doing. And I'm kind of, uh, I think our region is excited that we're going to get behind some people who have maybe... Um, grown spineless because they didn't know the narrative was empty and say, hey man, let me help you. I'm not going to ridicule you. I'm not going to do something public with you. Let me just give you some advice. And it matters because there's no place as influential on the globe as this little thing of 17, 18 counties called the Permian Basin that oh, can wow. change the game. Man. Man, the voice of the heart of the Permian Basin right now coming live from PBE <laughs> Podcast, going to Washington, D.C. I, 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 I'm honestly, I'm, I'm hoping for the best praying that the ears are going to be able to listen. They're going to respond to what you're saying. They're not going to react and get you try to get kicked out of there. They're going to respond. They're going to listen. That's all I'm asking. Just listen. Just listen. This podcast is brought to you by Fairfield Geotechnologies. Fairfield Geotechnologies is where you can find the seismic data that you need in the Permian Basin to drill better wells. If you have not seen the high trace density seismic data from Fairfield Geotechnology, you are not optimizing your opportunity to get as much oil and gas out of the ground as possible with every wellbore you have 
in the ground and that you operate. Contact them today for data processing, data licensing, careers, any other inquiries. Their headquarters are at 9811 Katy Freeway, Suite 1150 in Houston, Texas. Their telephone number is 281-275-7500. Thank you, Fairfield Geotechnologies, for everything you do and for being a part of this amazing story. Uh, WTGS. 2021 Fall Symposium virtual attendees are uh, online, and, and that's who our audience is today, which I brought up to you briefly that, you know, the, the people that show up at the WTGS Fall Symposium, which the WTGS, the West Texas Geological Society, been around for 95 years. 95 years, the technical folks that are actually in charge of drilling these wells and poking the Permian Basin to figure out, you know, how to keep it very economic. We're not here to just do things blindly. We want to spend spend less money, make more, yeah. right? These guys have been getting together. The, the, the importance of this event, I can't, I just cannot stress it enough. It was such a huge pivotal moment for me as a student coming out of California and, and coming here and getting the, intro, the introduction to the WCGS. I said, wow, yeah. I could see myself at this place. Well, it's an honor to be here. Right Thanks on. for letting me be here. Right on, Mr. Mayor Patrick Payton of Midland, Texas. Uh, we're going to do the, the conception part of the show, and that is where I get to sit back and enjoy your story. Okay. So take us back. Well, it starts uh, in Oklahoma, where my beloved uh, Sooners are in Norman. <laughs> Boomer Sooners. And uh, that's exactly right. And I, Sooner, <laughs> Texas. There you go. And so... Uh, we, uh, oh, I was in the restaurant business, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, that's the easier way to say that I was in the food distribution and brokerage business. I represented about 35 different food manufacturers from Sweet and Low to barbecue sauces and had a great industry and had a little bit of a life shift uh, in the mid-90s. And my wife and I decided to, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, go into church work. So we went up to Louisville, Kentucky, went to seminary, Whoa. and through a series of events of people we knew um, in Oklahoma City, got a phone call from a good friend of mine from Oklahoma City who had moved to Midland, and he was going to a church here in Midland, and he said, we're going to start a new church. You want to come to Midland and start a church? Wow. I'd never heard of Midland, quite frankly. Is I'd that right? Never. I'd never even heard of Friday Night Lights. What? I, uh, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> but you got to realize, like, if you're not from here, it's, you look at people like, are you are you uninformed? <laughs> so um, this was back in '99. Wow. Flew in in '99 and moved our family here and started a church called Stonegate Fellowship. Wow. Um, grew Millennium from, year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Wow. The lights stayed on in 2000, so it was good and. Grew the church to had about 5,000 people every week. And Sheesh. one of my mottos was to leave before they tell you to and leave before they want you to. Uh, in the church world, pastors usually stay too long. And so about 2018, through a series of events, we just decided, okay, let's retire. And started a company, a consulting company, coaching company. And there's a podcast, I hope nobody can find it, when I was being interviewed about what I was gonna do next. And I said, and, and the interviewer said, are you going to run for the Senate? And I said, no. Are you going to run for the House? And I said, no. And then I said, and I would never run for mayor. And a few months passed, and never I just started getting never. phone calls from folks and emails and people asking me to go to lunch or dinner and asking me to run for mayor. So, you know, we, we kind of sat around for a little bit, and just the, the most important moment of that was I was sitting at my house, I made a list of seven reasons not to run for mayor. And I gave it to my wife and she looked at it literally for probably 15 seconds, handed it back to me and said, you're supposed to do this. So <laughs> we, uh, we contacted a few people. They said, you'll know if you have a viable candidacy, if you can raise money. That's just uh, the dirty bit. You know, if you can raise money, then that's a real deal. We actually ended up raising more money for a mayoral campaign in the history of Midland. And uh, Jesse, who's with us, was a critical part of that team and several others who were part of that team and uh, had a really successful campaign. I'm so thankful I'm not campaigning right now. Wow. Took office in January of 2020. I think it was January 13th when I was sworn in just across the hall here. Had a great run in January and February of 2020. Things around here were uh -oh. just, you know, blowing yeah. and going. Yeah. And then March hit. Oh, yeah. And my son, who is in Houston working for a financial consulting firm, texts me on, um, I think it was the night of March 8th or March 9th. I'm sorry, I forgot the date. 
And his short little text said, it's looking, it's getting bloody out there. And this was a Sunday night. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, the oil markets. And this was before we, we'd heard a little wow. bit about COVID. Yeah. But we didn't, we we're like, oh, right. whatever. It's the, right. it's the bird flu. And the next morning, I woke up Monday morning, and I'd been through ups and downs of the cycles here. Yeah. But I'd never experienced what it was like to drive downtown. My offices are just around the corner here. And this place shuttered. Wow. I mean, it just, the brakes hit. And that was the beginning of a run that included um, the economy. It included COVID. We could go through the whole series of communist protesters coming to town, uh, wow. riots. You know, it's just wow. been, uh, wow. you know, someone asked me the other day, they said, if you knew this was all going to happen, would you have run? And, and quite frankly, I think I would have been even more encouraged to run because I'd, wow. I'd rather have the challenges than sit back and go, okay, let's just go cut ribbons. And, wow. and so that's, wow. that's the story. We got to rock it back. Because you got me in a Kung Fu stance right now. <laughs> the COVID hits, right? right? And you're mayor of Midland, Texas. Yeah. The bottom is falling out. You're talking about a negative $32 per barrel. We're getting paid when we go to the gas station, I guess, is what that means. Yeah. But you instantly went into action, mm -hmm. right? You instantly went into action. What was it or who was it when you were growing up that gave you that quality as a leader why why that response who did that to you how did you get that how do you give that to somebody because that's the reaction we have to have it's not a reaction it's an action mm -hmm. something happens bang you're in your kung fu stance you're ready to go and make things work make it yeah. right right you got to make that call right and there's a lot of people going you're not making the right call i can, can't even imagine mm -hmm. the phone calls and emails the mayor millions no getting. you can't <laughs> why, why no you can't and I mean, that's <laughs> and they most of them begin with the phrase, "You no good, lousy mf'er." Oh man, that's the truth, man. Oh, <laughs> raw tooth and claw. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, the answer to your question is simple. It's my mother. Is that right? Totally. Uh, our family busted up when I was a little kid, and um, single mom, and she said, "Game on." And wow, when she could have uh, folded and said. We're going to live off the government. Right. Uh, she took her day job. You know, my sister and I got up in the mornings without her there and made our Pop-Tarts for breakfast. And then we uh, went to school, walked to school, rode our bikes to school, did what you had to do back in those days, uphill both ways in the snow. <laughs> and, uh, and then we came home and she would briefly be home for a minute before she went to go clean offices at night. Sheesh. And so my sister and I would go clean offices with her sometimes. And, and so she just, uh, she just never wavered, and, and she never shook, and she never took anything, and she just said, we'll fight. And, you know, she's this little 95-pound, you know, five-foot-nothing woman who is the toughest person That's I right. know outside of my wife. And <laughs> she instilled that in us, and she, and she kind of instilled in us you know, to be blunt about it, we're going to kick ass and take names. If everybody's not for us, that's fine. We'll go on. And that's hmm. really the way that went down. And then she was wise enough to find uh, what she considered to be men I should look at. And I could name those men for you, you know, guys like Dan Quentin, guys like Gene Burgess, guys like Jim Sinclair. Uh, these guys are my heroes. And I don't wow. know what phone calls she made, but these guys started picking me up. Um, you know, I told you I was a Sooner fan. I never went to OU. Um, I was raised listening to football games with my mother on the radio. And then one of my, my idols and my mentors was Jim Sinclair, who would take me to games and pick me up on Saturday morning. We'd drive to Norman. And, and, and he would say things like, hey, what do you want to be? You want to play football here? And, you know, I'm going to play football there. I mean, look at me. And, and he's like, you can do that. And then a guy like Gene Burgess, when I was you know, in high school and going, kind of going off the wrong path and a whole nother story we don't need to get into, but I'm powerlifting and on steroids, you know, and what? all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting at home and all of a sudden Gene Burgess pulls up in front of my house and uh, knocks on the door. And this is, this is exactly how the conversation went. He said, hey, you're not living up to who you are. You need to change it. He walked out. And how old were you? I was 19. Whoa. And then Dan Quentin was the father of my very best friend, and he was the same kind of guy and just a steady influence. And, you know, these are the guys that, uh, you know, I remember holding Dan Quentin's hand on the night he passed away and just telling him thank you, you know, thank you. And so you, uh, 
You fight because people before you and around you taught you just take punches and give it back. And these were the people, my mother is the same way, and um, that's where it comes from. Man, you know, the frame of who we are is etched by the experiences we have in life. No right? doubt, no doubt. And so and when you so, get in a situation, you know, you said, how do you get this, you use a Kung Fu stance when yeah. we're here? I mean, it was, uh, I wrote a personal constitution in 1992, and it has a list of 13 governing values. And so, you know, quite frankly, when the bad stuff hit the fan, it was just, okay, game on, man. And, yeah. you know, you, you, you decide I'm not going to live in fear. That's right. We're going to fight. Uh, and that's what I love about the Permian Basin in Midland is... I don't know. There probably is some place on the in the on the globe that exists this way, but you know we kind of carry with pride. Tell us we can't, and um, that's right. And it's an attitude, and and it's an attitude that I even watched when we we're trying to figure out what to do with COVID, and we don't know whether we should sneeze or whether we should wear a mask or what we should do. That's right. And everybody's like, you got to do this and you got to do that. And I had people telling me you got to shut the city down. And I'm looking at wow. what's going on in Dallas and everywhere and all these documents that are shutting down cities. But on page four through 22, it says you don't have to stay home if you got to go do this. And I realized, okay, well, everything we're doing is out of fear rather than calling on people's best interests and their biggest heart. And what every surge we've been through with COVID here, all we've had to do is get on the radio and tell people, hey, this is a real deal, man. It's time to empty the hospital again. We gotta take care of things. And you know, I just, there aren't too many places that when you tell people, here's the issue, they step to the plate. And that's not, that's not politics speak. That's just the reality. And um, it's the philosophy of it, Midland. It, it just is. I mean, what kind of people come to a place where you can't see what you're after and then you go get it and then you produce it and you power the world? That, that's the attitude. Whoa. Did you realize that when you when you said, I'm going to run for mayor? Did you realize that, that the people of Midland had that kind of response to what you say? Um, I knew from the people at our church that there was a fighter's mentality. Uh, I don't think any of us knew to some degree, how much we would fight. Even, even, the, even though the people, you know, I've lived here long enough to hear people say, ah, it's all gonna go downhill again. This is, we're gonna cycle through all this again. The funny thing is, is they've all been through it and done it. Yeah. You know, none of them said, ah, oh, I, I just came back to tell you, I moved away. I just want to come back and tell you it's gonna <laughs> suck. I mean, they all are like, <laughs> they, right. I've lived here for 60 years. Yeah. And you stayed. That's right. And, and every so one of them. I think we all, carry within us. If you've lived here long enough, you just get an attitude. And part of the attitude is knowing that regardless of what's happening in Washington, D.C. or Austin, and not trying to be real cute with a phrase, you do know you're the people responsible for powering the economy. And there's something about knowing you're the bad boy on the block and nobody mm. knows what you do. And that's who we are. Wow, man. Inspirational, for sure inspirational. When you said your mom, I instantly thought, wow, you know, I, I love that because for me, moms to me is, is like the relationship of life and like understanding, you know, building relationships. You learn that through mom. And, and I think you learn love through your dad. That's mm -hmm. just kind of how I see it. And you didn't have that father figure. It sounded like, but then you had these three men that stepped in I mean, what was the quality amongst all three of them to you in, in that aspect? What were, what were they filling for you? Their basic message in my life, as long as I have known them, was to be blunt about it, don't be a wuss, um, get after it, and you're better than this. I mean, at, at every stage, okay, you gotta get better than this. You gotta get better than this. They, none of them ever took me to lunch and said, you know, you got a tough road. Yeah. And none of them ever said that. They sat down and said, you gotta do better. And to the point where my mother would right say, on. if you don't quit, I'm gonna call one of those three men and he's gonna spank you. I mean, and you know, I'm like <laughs> 17 years old. And she's like, I'm gonna call your football coach, Rod Goodsell, and he's gonna whip you. And so you, uh, you know, you just, um, Sometimes people have it so good that they never know what it is to be challenged. Sometimes you have it so bad and people cause you to feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. And so you do and you spend the rest of your life blaming everybody. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to have a tough mom who said, we will not feel sorry for ourselves. We will not make excuses and you're just gonna fight. And these guys rallied around and said, it's time to go, bro. Man. And they never, I can never remember any conversation where they said, it's okay. I, yeah, never. Yeah. They were just like, so what? So what? Get after it. Gosh. You know, a phrase I've used for years is just get over it. 
and you just you just get over it. Man. And you know, I didn't tell you Gene Burgess. He, uh, you got to be careful the words you use to describe people these days. <laughs> so Gene Burgess, for lack, well, he's just what he is. He's an Indian. Like I'm like not not Far East Indian, like Native American. Okay. Okay. Bad dude. I mean, yeah. he's just a bad Indian man, and he's probably six foot two. And from the moment I met him until the day he died, he had solid gray hair cut in a military crew cut. And he was just a bad dude. And he didn't put up with it. And, yeah. and he wouldn't he wasn't gonna let me put up with it. In fact, the first meal I had at his house was rabbit. What? Yeah, that they'd killed in their backyard. So I you know, that just tells you the kind of people these people were. Yeah. And um and Dan Quentin was he drove a train, he was a train engineer, just a blue collar dude. Wow. And um that's so cool. I don't know, you know, it just, it's just an attitude until I, somebody asks me the question, you don't realize, huh, I've never had anybody in my life say, gosh, that's unfair. Yeah. And <laughs> nobody even here has said that, you know, so unfair that you became mayor in the worst time in American history. I mean, okay, we have a phrase that we use in our company that there's just no neutral moments. And so that's right. if there aren't any neutral moments, then this moment's ordained in some way in the universe and we're that's part right. of it and we got to live it. That's right. We're along a wave that we have no control of. Just ride it. And it goes up and it goes down. Yeah. Ride it. Ride it. And enjoy it. Man, I love that. I really do. I love the way that you have been put here during this time to handle this situation. So tell me what, what was the response as a group? Because it's not just you. I get mm -hmm. that. You got, your hand, you got Jesse's around you. You got people mm -hmm. that are like, hey, you know, this is the response that we're getting. We should maybe make some adjustments. So when, when it hit and you realized, okay, the economy is going to take a major hit, mm -hmm. you know, across the board because the restaurants are shutting down. You know, it wasn't just oil and gas, which is the backbone of Midland. Right. It was everything. Mm -hmm. As a mayor, you were, you were thinking economically, like strong economics, like let's get money moving again in this city or what yeah. was that kind of what was the big overall push right away or motivation maybe i think the big push to begin with was how we were going to get to the point where we rejected this idea that there was such a thing as an essential worker and a non-essential worker wow yeah uh, i think that was the most debilitating thing this country did most wow. debilitating thing they did throughout this state and throughout wow. this You're country you're non-essential yeah. I didn't even think about that. What do you mean I'm not as I'm offended by that? Well, I mean, and that's that's the part where I think we if we ever had to do this again, you step back and go, so wait a minute. Um, you know, Amazon didn't have to shut down. Right. Apparently that's essential. But I can tell you what else is essential is Nimi over here at uh, Cancun Grill, who's got a wait staff who's trying to pay the bills. And, you know, you just can't stop life. And, and I also figured out how fearful we are as people. Mm. You know, it, I started doing some research on the CDC's website to get my arms around what are we dealing with. And the one thing I, that just blew me back was every year in America, just America, every year, not just last year or the year before, like years in, in succession, over 5,000 people die every year from cigarette smoke, or mm. from cigarettes. Mm -hmm. You know, we've never outlawed cigarettes and we've never shut the country down. I said 5,000, wrong word, 500,000. Half a million. Around the globe, it's in the millions. Sheesh. So I thought, wait a minute. Now we're discovering how fearful people are to die. That's the other thing that caught me by surprise, was we, just to put it in slang, we ain't as tough as we think we are. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying we should all run around and stand on the street and see if a car hits us, but you start <laughs> realizing we are, we are squashing the human spirit. And, and in this place, I also had a hunch that if you shut this place down too long, these people here are, it's a pressure cooker. They will, they will not let you shut them down. And, and, and so that's why I was so glad to be in a place like this. And I got yeah. a phone call from the governor's office that said, do you have a plan to open up Midland? And, you know, when you get a call from the governor, even if you don't have a plan, you say, I got one. Yeah. And they say, I need it tomorrow. And one of the first slides I sent to the governor was, there's no such thing as a non-essential worker. Every worker is essential. And the funny thing was, is my plan was to open the economy up to 25%, work with your hospitals, monitor what's happening with COVID for two weeks, then go to 50%, monitor, go to two weeks, then go 75%. Yeah. Never heard another word, but it was funny, two weeks later, the governor releases his plan to open up the state, and guess what? 25%, 50%, 75%. So then I learned the art of stealing. But uh, 
you know, it's uh, it just, and I also learned that it's we're reactive people rather than a responsive people. Uh. And you gotta, you gotta hit the brakes and be willing for people to think you're moving slow, but you're really not. You're churning. Uh, let me take you back. That early part of March, we're sitting in the basement of City Hall. And it's the city staff and it's members of the uh, city council. And we're, it's starting to gin up around yeah. here. You know, the whole, it's not the economy, it's COVID. We're getting phone calls all over, from all over the country, from friends in the military. And here's the message. Trump's about to shut the country down. You better hunker down. So I'm sitting in the basement of City Hall thinking, you got to be kidding me. And literally, I go out in the hallway and call my family one by one. And the, the call's like, hey, um... I remember talking to my wife and I said, hey, I need you to just go to the store tonight and I'm not going to be home till late. Get some water, just get some essentials. I yeah. have no idea what's coming, but it could get bad. I, I didn't mention toilet paper. had no idea that people didn't know how to live without toilet paper. <laughs> and so, uh, but that's the kind of stuff that's coming at you. And wow. I think you got to get your best Tom Brady on, you know, and when everybody else is just going crazy you sit in the pocket and go, I got this, wow. even though you don't. And wow. you know, you got a team around you saying, what about this? What about this? What about this? A slow response was a better response. And I can't think of a, a point where we, you know, I'm looking at Jesse. Wow. I don't think we ever made a decision in a hurry, really. I mean, we just said, okay, slow it down, slow it down. Yeah. But fear makes people get freaky. Yeah, and uh, they come yep. after you, and Sheesh. that's but that's just part of the gig, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can, I, I will absolutely admit, I felt scared. I yeah. did feel scared. I had a kid, just a brand new baby boy, right when it was at the apex of this thing, and we have a two-year-old girl. I'm going, whoa, you know. And then you start imagining, like, is this thing really taking people out? And am I going to go? Who, like, you start having that thought, and I'm going, wow. But I love the idea that it's a reaction. When I said you jumped in your kung fu stance, that was actually incorrect. What you did was respond, mm -hmm. which to me tells me, listen, just yeah. sit back, listen. You know, you're not going to react and change something on, on a dime. Right. It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. It's not reality. You got to slow the game down. Slow it down. Respond. Don't react. Respond. I love that because it makes me think intuitively here. Listen to what's going on. Don't just don't react. Don't talk. Just listen. And that's very important. When it comes to rocks, that's very important. <laughs> and when it comes to being a mayor, Midland, it's very important. Well, the lesson there is nothing of worth geologically occurs unless it's over a long period of time. And then it's solid. And for us, you can hurry and it's not going to be solid. But if you will slow down, you know, you just have to be willing to, you got to understand that the naysayers and negativity are the most vocal and the most um, loud. They make the most noise. I have folders I keep in my computers of all the emails that come to me from you lousy MFR, I hope you die. And I, that's the real deal. And then the other ones that are people are saying, hey, you're doing a good job. It's where I came up with the phrase, I've learned that people that are haters have a much thicker dictionary than people who are likers. And because your, your liker people are like, hey, you're doing a great job. We're praying for you. Thanks for all you do. Done. So you just, you got to settle back. And it was a surprise to all of us. I don't think we really knew. A uh, previous mayor here, Wes Perry, told me one time, he said, I hope you're ready for what people are going to say about you. And I said, well, I was a pastor for 20 years. Nobody can say anything I haven't heard. And he was right. I was wrong. <laughs> but the more intense it gets, yeah. I think the, um, the, the slower you have to roll. And then the faster you can solve the issue if you've got a wow. slow roll. You know, think back of the movie uh, Lincoln, you know, the most recent movie uh, with Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. And I love that movie because in the midst of the Civil War, assuming the, the movie was correct, you just see him hunkered down in thought even though all around him Jeez. the world's falling apart so and i think we need more of that in dc we need more of that in austin because all we have is just loud extremes and we've lost the middle man okay we got to get into the official drill down segment <laughs> okay. of the pbe podcast because i yep. could definitely dive into what you learn and, and what you're kind of instilling in me for, for me as a dad, I'm going, you know, what is my reflection to my kids? And what am I, what am I really giving them, you know, to, to make it through with what's going on here? Uh, and I'm really fascinated with what you're doing, you know, and, and how you're doing that to your kids. Uh, but, They're all grown now. So uh, now I just look at my grown kids and say, where'd you learn that? And, <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> that didn't come from my me. My poor wife says from you. So, yeah. uh, so let's get into the drill down segment. You, you, you mentioned that, uh, or maybe Jesse did, mentioned that Washington, D.C., a trip to Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. is coming up. Yep. What, what is the focus? What's happening here? So January of 2020, I was told as soon as I was elected, I should go to the U.S. Conference of Mayors in Washington, D.C. So I did. Uh, found out it was, should have been called the U.S. Conference of Democrat Mayors. And, um, and it should be called the U.S. Conference of Liberal uh, Green Energy Mayors. So I, I, there's a guy named Mayor Garcetti out of Los Angeles. Uh, he's sort of a poster boy of that whole group. And we had a breakout session on the, uh, on the climate and energy. Mm-hmm. So we were supposed to sit around tables, and we all did. And we all had microphones like you would see at a hearing. We're all supposed to participate in the conversation. And instead, Garcetti talks for about an hour and a half, and then none of us get a chance to visit, which I was really ticked off about because I had my speech ready to go. And I'll give you a little bit of what that speech was here in a minute. Yeah. And um, so we're dismissed, and I walk through the press gaggle and walk straight through it. And when I get past it, nobody stops me to ask me a question. I'm just this guy with an overcoat on that has the pen from Epstein that says, I love fossil fuels. So nobody had thrown an egg on me just yet. <laughs> and so. <laughs> I stop and catch myself and turn back around and go to the press gaggle and I say, are any of you interested in talking about how it's impossible for you to get to alternative energies and a sustainable alternative energy without the power of the oil and gas industry? And I said, to put it another way, you can't get green unless you go through black gold. You want, and they said, well, who do we talk to? And I said, me, let's go. And, and so it started a little bit of a conversation. I get home and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I just left an event in Washington, D.C. with thousands of mayors who are being inundated with this, this narrative of wow. alternative energies. And there's no alternative. So I just started trying to connect, and Jesse was helping. We were trying to connect with mayors of what we started calling energy city mayors. So we were talking to the mayors in North Dakota. We were talking to mayors in Oklahoma City. We were talking to some mayors in California and Pennsylvania and other parts of Texas and saying, will you join us to build a coalition to go to Washington, D.C., we're not worried about talking to the far right and the far left. Mm-hmm. We want to talk to the middle who really are being duped in this discussion. And so uh, we, we grinded away for well over 12 months, 13 months, 14 wow. months. And finally, we caught a break when the organization called um, America First Policy Institute uh, got wind of what we were doing. Within 48 hours, I get a phone call. They say, we hear your vision. We are going to fund your vision. We're ready to go. Fast forward. Uh, now they've been recruiting mayors, uh, county commissioners, county judges, sheriffs, and we're going to descend on Washington, D.C. next week. And we're going to start, uh, we'll start the mornings with really our briefings. And then we'll be on Capitol Hill in the afternoon knocking on doors to sit down with these legislators and say, look, time out. Number one, we're pro-energy. We really are. We, no place is more pro-energy than we are. We've got more windmills than anybody else. We probably will have more solar panels than anybody else. We like nuclear. We like water. We like hydro. Right. We like it all. And it's, on a side note, it's why a lot of people are mad at me that I haven't come out against this nuclear disposal site in Andrews. Ah. Because I've told my friends, who now they're listening because they're ticked off at me, but I said, listen, you got to understand something. For you to come out against this is nothing more than ammo for the opposition to say, so you don't want to be the best in energy and how you deal with all the byproducts of energy. Mm. You want to ship that off somewhere else. I said, Mm. we have to own the narrative of owning energy. And so what we want to do is we want to sit down and talk to these congressmen and say, listen, we understand that you're getting a lot of pressure from the ESG movement. We understand you're getting a lot of pressure from a, a very empty green lobby. But the fact of the matter is, let's just say, and this is just part of our talking points, let's just say that the whole fleet in Texas of automobiles electrifies. How in the world do you think we're going to do that? Do you, even, do you even know where that energy comes from? Do you, yeah. do you think yeah. you just plug into electricity? And the, the reality is, as much as I know you know this, I'm shocked by how many people do not know the answer to that question. And so we just got to go tell the story and help them to deal with the fact that it doesn't matter. The cleanest energy producing, producing nation and region in the world is the United States and the Permian Basin. In the meantime, while we're selling assets off, I'm not going to mention any names, while we're trying to say we're lowering our carbon footprint, China's building a coal plant a month. India could care less. And, and so you go around the globe and China and Russia and India, to be yeah. blunt about it, don't give a rat's ass about your Paris Accord. Now, they'll sign it, but they don't care. 
because they are going to try to elevate their nations. And so while we sit around because we've been so spoiled over the years and think we're goody two-shoe in this thing, the rest of the world is saying, you guys go behind, we're going ahead. And they're producing, and I've spent time in Africa. I've seen what China is doing to those oil fields in that area. I've been in those homes when they turn your electricity off in the middle of the day and you hope you can make coffee the next morning. So it's just a matter of sitting down and saying, don't give in to false hype. Wow. You know, it, and it's false hype that you can't even produce. And so we want to go uh, talk about that. And where that came alive for me, and then I'll shut up, is I was being interviewed by Texas Monthly, really, you know, conservative periodical here in Texas, Texas that loves Monthly, the oil and yeah. gas industry. And the interviewer, at the end of the interview, he says, how do you feel about being mayor of a place that is the most destructive climate industry <laughs> in the world? <laughs> and I said, you really want to ask that question? And he said, yeah. And so he had a microphone in front of me with a wind, wind fuzzy thing on it, right? And I said, do you know how that's made? And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, it's an oil and gas byproduct that's right. to make this. That's and right. I said, your, your recorder there takes an oil and gas byproduct. I said, your tennis shoes. I went through the whole gamut. And then that's I told right. him, I said, did you have a Tesla here? He said, no. And I said, well, if you did, it's got over a thousand pounds of plastics in it made by the oil and gas industry. And I said, what you don't understand Sorry. is your life is made possible by your Patagonia backpack and your North Face jacket. It's made possible by this industry. And then I told him, I said, I am not telling you we are against alternative energy sources. We right. should be exploring everything we can to power life. We're, we're building it, literally. That's right. But you can't power life without the thing that's powered modernity. And it's sitting right here. And so it's just, it's a matter of just sitting back bewildered at how easily well-educated CEOs of companies and boards of directors have caved to this narrative that's gonna destroy what they're doing. But some of the time I wonder if they even care because what they're doing around the rest of the world is not indicative of what they're saying right here in the United States. Yeah. <sighs> so much to chew on, man. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I applaud what you're doing. I think uh, it's, it's admirable what, uh, what you're doing as far as stepping up and saying, you know, just let's talk about this a little bit more detail, not allowing someone to take the narrative and running for a, me a whole meeting that you're supposed to have this integrated, you know, right. minds coming together and it's mm -hmm. just train rolled an hour and a half. I mean, what was his talk? What, he was just pounding alternatives and saying that. Well, it wasn't pounding alternatives because none of them really know what they're talking about when they're talking about alternatives because they don't know what powers life. So what they do is they have discussions about how they're, they're trying to find pioneering ways to deal with less energy consumption in the production of their asphalt. And I, I, you know, you just sit there and go, oh, wow. like, this is the stupidest thing I've heard. <laughs> and, and, you, and, and you know, one guy walked up to me and heard I was from Midland, Texas, and he said, um, why do you guys want to destroy polar bears? That's literally Gosh. his opening sentence. <laughs> And Jesse's heard all these stories so many times. And I said, well, we like the way they make rugs. And, and, and then I just stopped and I said, is this where we're going to start? Yeah. Because, again, it's the Man. extremes dominating. And rather than just, if we'll just go back to the very beginning of this conversation. Everybody just needs to take their reaction shoes off, back off, yeah. calm down. Yeah. And let's have a conversation. Yeah, let's lead. Does the oil industry, oil and gas industry have some blame and some things that have happened around wells and different? Absolutely. Yeah. But so does rare earth minerals. So That's you can right. have your iPhone. And, and so do these other nations as they go about this and then care less. Yeah. So let's just calm down because there's no other nation producing clean energy like we are. And so if we'll just calm down a minute and have a conversation, yep. you can't even have your electric automobile fleet without us. Yep. And it's just... It's, it's so hard to get people to calm down when over the last 40 years they've heard the earth's going to blow up and it's oil and gas's fault. Eesh. Yeah. No, I don't know what it is, man. I think uh, the philosophy of, uh, of, for some reason, we think we're a lot more important than we, we really are. The, the anthropogenic byproduct of what we do as, as little energy cells that are rolling around this planet mm -hmm. is, not, is nothing on, on the scale of the planet doing what it does. I talked to you about serpentinization, this process that we're just you learning. You're using a lot of big words. The geoscience community is just now biting into this stuff. Tyson Neil deGrasse, or however mm -hmm. you say his name, he mentioned it in one of the latest shows that he did, Serpentis, uh, Serpentinite, and, and he starts talking about this rock, and it has all to do with our understanding of a lot of 
things on this planet, the natural processes of this planet. Right. And it's it's there. We don't have control of it. We can't stop that. You yeah. know, we got to work with it. And and we, we so we're definitely not in a place where we can react and make a decision because we don't, we're not sure what's going on. Let the dust settle on all this science. Let the dust settle on what's going to develop on these ideas for the next few years. And then respond, right? That's what you're your guiding uh, Midland is for well, sure. The only nations having this crusade against oil and gas are, for lack of a better word, Western civilizations who are spoiled on what it is to be civilized and who are spoiled on what it is to be able to hit a light switch and the lights come on. That's right. So when I travel the globe and I've been in uh, various continents and I'm in Africa and other places, the developing world, where no exaggeration, not politically or, or whatever, billions of people don't have abundant, reliable access to energy. Mm-hmm. And we're the ones who can provide that. But because we've gotten spoiled, oftentimes it's the spoiled brat who thinks that they're doing something good because they just latch on to some idea they saw on social media or somebody told them about. And really they don't even know what they're talking about. We're kind of spoiled about energy. Now we got to back up and realize where it all came from. Yep. You know, that's how the kid that's spoiled realizes he, you know, he, he finally has someone sit him down and say, you don't understand what you have and how it got here. So before you start bad-mouthing your grandfather who started a company and now you have all this money, maybe you ought to back up and see how hard he worked. And we've forgotten what it took to get here and how oil and gas got us here and it will, it will propel the next generation. Yep. And it will be how India and Russia and China and these places can get into the modern world in other places, but we're the ones destroying ourselves here in the yeah. United States in the midst of the process. Yeah. And so we got to kind of back up a little bit yeah. and realize um, we, we need to wake up. I like it. The, the, the stirring of this mess, right? That's the visual I'm getting. It's just this stirring mess, and we're all thinking it's progression, right? We think it's progress, but it's really just this stirring mess because no one's taking a step back, pull some things out of it, get it off motion, mm -hmm. settle it down. What is it? What is this mess that's stirring? You know, what are we yep. really talking about? It's vital. Well, in our industry, success. unfortunately, is made up of people who wake up in the morning really early, they go to work, and they produce power for life. And they've been doing that for decades, and they keep their heads down, they don't ask for any credit. Nobody knows anything about the Permian Basin, except the Friday Night Lights, except me. They, they just do their stuff, yeah. you know, and, and they don't worry about getting credit. They just put their heads down and they power forward and they provide power. Yeah. And they ignore all this stuff that for the right. last three decades has been swirling around in the capital. And then one day we wake up and go, oh, wait a minute. They've, they've been trying to destroy us. Yeah. And they don't even know that we made them and we make them. Yeah. And so you, you kind of got a bunch of hard workers who are like, wow, I think they want to destroy us. And so we've got we to fight the new fight, man. Wow. And by letting it go, thinking, I think for decades, putting our head down and saying, hey, we're just going to get to work. This is reliable energy. It's not going anywhere. I got a good career for 30 years. I'm just going to keep my head down. Now we put our heads up and it's instantly you're, you're part of this four letter word. You know what I mean? If you yeah. say you're in the oil and gas industry, they're just like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, what's it like working for the devil? Yeah. And you're going, whoa, yeah, you know, what? nice to meet you. Yeah. Uh, and now they're in charge of just, Wall Street saying, if you don't have the right ESG profile, we're going to defund you. And so all of this we're having to wake up to. But it's a, uh, it's a real deal, man. Humans love a big fight. They do, and it's, I think I've been blessed to have enough people around me. You know, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a geologist, I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm a communicator and an observer. And what's happened is I've been able to sit back and observe what's happened to a group of people and go, wait a minute, do you even see what happened? Yeah. Like the narrative got taken from you. Yeah. And okay, fine, we're gonna fight for the narrative. And, and that's what we're after and that's what we're doing. We got great supporters and we're looking forward to DC and, it's going to be a long road, but when you think about it, I know there might be some listeners thinking that's impossible in Washington, D.C. Right. Actually, no. Because if you think about what you need to shift the balance of power in Congress right now, yeah. you need two senators. All you got to do is change two minds. And if the Republican bloc holds steady and you get two, you're good. Hmm. And in the House, you get 10, you win. So when you, when you, because when you look at the, at, Congress, it's evenly divided. 
And, uh-huh. and so you don't, what you don't do is go run around with the loud people who are just the loud people. Yeah. And what you do is you go find the people in the middle who are trying to just figure out the right thing to do. And you just sit down with them and say, let me just tell you something. This is the real deal. And do you know we in the Permian Basin, we have a quarter of a million people that go to work in energy and wind and solar and oil and gas and all the above. Yeah. That's what we do. And do you understand what's happening around the globe? It's just a, you know, it, it's... It doesn't take much, huh? It doesn't take much. And you just tell them, put some earmuffs on and stop listening to CNN, Fox, MSNBC, and all the rest of them. <laughs> just, let's just have a conversation. I can show you the data. Right on. Game on. Right on. I like it, man. Yeah. We, you know, we rely, everything as people, we rely around the hydrocarbon world. I mean, that's oil and gas and, and hydrogen and carbons <laughs> randomly put together atomically create all kinds of these really cool things. And the science of it, manipulating it, it's fascinating in the science world. We are just simply one more step removed, which is a COH. We have oxygen involved in what we're doing. So anyway, uh, what I wanted to give you was some arsenal here because... In the whole concept of getting away from hydrocarbon, which we are intimately related to, scientifically, all data points to the fact that we are intimately related to oil and gas, right, naturally. You want to go electrify things. The other thing that's a huge part of what we are is water. So what's the worst thing for electronics? Water. Yeah, you unless you have water, a bag of rice nearby. <laughs> you put water on anything electronic, it's a bad deal, bad, violent reaction. It's nature telling us something. That, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> it's nature telling us something. Chill. Mm-hmm. We have this amazing, abundant energy that's there. And the planet is putting it out. It's coming out of the ocean floors. The cracks of the rocks have been happening since we've been spinning in this thing. It's there. It's not going anywhere. You can't stop it. We can use it, and that's what we've done very successfully. We've revolutionized mm-hmm. human culture yeah. by doing this. Now you can put it at every, every, cross every border and every language can have abundant energy. We manage that situation as people and, and move forward. And if we build new tools and cool gadgets and all this stuff, great. But to have this knee-jerk reaction and, and have your experience where this guy just train rolled the whole thing and did not want to hear any part of the logical information that we're actually yep. dealing with in reality. How does he expect the people to react? You're, we're making a major disconnect between people that are not intimately tied to this industry mm-hmm. to the people that aren't, right? We're making this bigger disconnect there by doing that. Just yep. educate. Just here's the logical information. Everybody gets it. Everybody makes the decision. We move on. It's the power of the narrative. Power of the it's, narrative. It's, you know, it, it's the power of narrative, and you see it all around social media, that you can manipulate the masses really easy. Wow. And the masses are manipulated. They think it makes them feel good about what they're doing with their life, and they, you know, they can... The funny thing is, is they can try to be really green and go buy a Nalgene water bottle, and then they can go buy, you know, some shoes that they say were sourced organically, and... It, but it was used a diesel-powered tractor to harvest it all. You know, you, you do all these things. Is it funny? You know, I saw a commercial from one of our beloved oil and gas multinational companies while I was watching football the other day, and um, it was this multinational company talking about how they were growing crops to produce some alternative energy sources. Okay. And I'm watching the commercial. I'm getting pissed off actually because I'm like, this is the problem. You you you're not telling the truth. And in the video where they're talking about how they're producing these crops to produce energy, the crops are being harvested by diesel-powered, driven harvesting machines in the commercial. <laughs> and and I'm, you just sit back and go, well, I got, you're kidding me. Like your marketing uh-huh. firm is filled with naivete. And so you just have to keep backing up and keep backing up and, and find a way to... It, the narrative doesn't have to be complex. Right. You know, it's just really simple once people understand what's happening and but we just again we've had our heads down for a long time because we've been working producing power and it's gotten a hold of us right on i made a quick little commercial about energy transformation energy transformation that's a term that we hear and we talk about and it's like what is that and what is it going to be you know Mm -hmm. and what's what are we going to change into i think energy transformation 
for the near future, I'm taking at least 20, 30 years, is we're not going to use howitzers to kill the gnats anymore. You know what I mean? Energy transformation is we're just going to hang up a little gnat killer, plug it into your wall, and it just takes care of the gnats. That's energy transformation. We're taking way less energy, time, and attention to do what we get in response mm -hmm. as an industry. That, to me, is exciting. That, to me, yeah. has all kinds of opportunities to kind of flatten it out, success, money's being made, cities are wealthy, taxes are being paid, people are happy, let's do that. That's energy transformation. See, I would choose another word. I would choose energy maturation um, because transformation carries with it the idea that we're gonna get from one thing and we're gonna lose another. Maturation mm. is really what we're in the process of. Mm. We're maturing in the way we produce energy. We're maturing in the way we use energy. We're maturing in the way we apply energy. And if we can just think of, to use a word that you don't use in church too often in conservative circles, it's the maturing evolution of energy. And over time, we're gonna see this change because really what we're after, and, and this is, you know, that stupid movie Waterworld, you know, when a, Costner's worst movies or whoever it was. I mean, you know, people still have this idea that that's going to, that, that oil and gas people are a bunch of dirty people walking around in oil tanks, you know, smoking cigarettes without filters and hoping we can kill everybody. And the reality is that's just not the truth of who we are. Yeah. What we're really after is the well-being of mankind. That's right. That's what we're after. That's I mean, right. we're, we're after efficient energy. So when this, when this winter shows up, you stay warm. That's right. And when the heat shows up, you stay cool right. and you can put your backpack on and we can wear these suits. I mean, we're about human thriving and we have been about that. And until we start recapturing the narrative about human thriving that we do through the maturation of the energy and the maturation of how we provide energy, then the transformation and transition discussion gets us in a bind because wow. transition only occurs as you mature correctly. Mm. And so if we mature correctly, we transition effectively. Wow, right on. Well said, Mayor. Thanks. Well said. Um, we are now f officially in the completion part of the PB All podcast. Because right. I feel like we, we got a good foundation here. We, I'm excited for what you're doing as you go to D.C., right? This is just a couple months away. Where are we at? On uh, Like two days away. Two days? Yeah, I'll be there next week. You're going to be in D.C. next week. Yep. Is it going to be streamed live? Or no, do no. I need to bring my cameras? Microphones. No, no cameras, no press. That's the whole, that's one of the main tenets of this whole thing is we don't need any press. Pressure. We don't need elected officials taking advantage of camera ops. We just want to sit down in your office and have a conversation with you, have a conversation with the Energy and Commerce Committee staff. Wow. And uh, we don't, we don't need any, uh, we don't need press, you know, and yeah. it's, it's, I sat in the Oval Office with, with George W. for quite a while, and I remember when I went to go see him, and I, I was in there for about 45 minutes with a buddy of mine, and we're talking wow. to the president, and then what? it was over, and we walked out, and the thing that hit me was, when I walked out, there were no cameras, there was no press, the sky was still blue, grass was still green, I was like, hmm, you just walked out of the most powerful place in the world, but you still gotta do life among normal people, and so what we gotta do is help these people see hey, real life occurs outside these hallways. Let's have a good conversation, then go wow. do real life better. So. Wow. So, I mean, you get a, that's a philosophy change for those people. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, no, I'm not normal people. You know, they, they got something. Give me a camera wow. so I can be on a sound bite. Wow. Wow. Okay, so two days away, you're gearing up. You're going to be in D.C. Mm -hmm. well, what's the plan of action? You're going from, like, room to room, literally, door to door. Wow, for how long? Two days. Okay, you'll be there for two days. Yeah. You got a PowerPoint in hand, printed nope. out kind of thing? No. Nope. Okay, you're just... Talking. There'll be mayors from around the country who are going to be there. Basically, you can think of it this way. We have pregame all morning and then game on all afternoon. So you pregame and then you uh, hit the halls of Congress right after lunch and you go till 4.30. Are you giving them anything, sliding anything across? Say, here, I want to keep that. Let me know if you want to you know, contact me. You're making... a a strategic error if you put anything in the hands of a congressman or a senator because he's going to put it in the hands of a handler uh -huh. and someone who knows what's going on. So you talk to him or her and then you give data and information to their staff. So right um, that's where the power is, right is on. you talk to them, but you get with their staff because their staff tells them um, what they need to hear, which is a very dangerous thing. Wow. Because if he doesn't or she don't have a core of principles 
to decide on and they're making their decisions based upon the vote of a constituency, then you're in trouble. The vote of a constituency. Uh, I like that. You got, uh, you got a game plan for sure. You we thought do. about that. Uh, and as in the completion segment, I'm going to refer, I'm going to give you an analogy of a completion, what we're talking about kind of, and where I want to go with this conversation. Okay. So in a completion in like a horizontal well, right? That's yep. when we put down the perf guns. Mm -hmm. We set perforations in a specific rock that we think is going to give us a bunch of oil and gas back very effectively, very economically. Right. We make a prediction. We make a prediction which is what you've done several times. And it sounds like you make predictions and they, they end up coming true. So this is where I want to go with the completion. <laughs> we make predictions for the decline curve of a production and, and setting perfs and completing a well. You're making a prediction by going out to DC and planning this information now, following it up with very logical data, everything that you have and you're ready to go with. How do you see the next, how do you see the ripple effects of what you're about to put in motion? Two scenarios. Um, one is we're able to give some people the information they need to um, combat some of the legislation that's coming out of the Energy and Commerce Committee. I don't hold out a lot of hope for that. What I do hold out hope for is we can communicate enough to people so they realize when they finally get to the game, they think they want to play with alternative energy mm -hmm. and they find out they've built this whole stadium around alternative energy and they found out they've got fans and they found out they have teams. They're all going to get on the field and find out we don't have a ball. <laughs> and so at that particular point is when we're going to have to be ready to say, we know you, you never had a ball in the training room because we are the ball. We play the game. And, and so then we can start engaging when people ask us, now what do we do since we screwed this thing up? Wow. Because you, it doesn't take, it, it's, it takes someone maybe as ignorant as me to watch from a distance what's happening and realize the narrative is leading us to a fairy tale that's not true. Mm. It's not powered. It's that simple. You cannot power this narrative you're talking about. We can help you build a better future with inclusive energy and energy maturation. You can't get there without us, right. and you're going to produce a bunch of stuff that you think is going to change the world through quote-unquote electrification, and you're going to find out you're going to plug into the wall, and you're not going to have anything. Eesh. So it's hard to kind of, you know, think about being a parent. Mine are all grown up. You're just in this. One of the hardest things you do as a parent is realize they're not going to listen to you until they get older, and then they're going to go, oh, you were right. And this is the position we're in. They're not going to listen to us until China, Russia, and India, and everybody else rolls us, and we're behind again. So you just, you got to go lay the seeds, lay the foundation, lay the groundwork, and when they decide they want to play the game, we can say, we've had the ball all along, you ready to play, let's roll. Wow. How much effort is going into the narrative for social media and like being in that loud area where you're in the noise you're tr mm -hmm. is there a lot of go you're not doing a lot of that good it's, it doesn't accomplish anything all it does is accomplish people responding to your social media posts with their opinions that are usually not grounded in data and and so you know that's probably the worst thing that's happened to our political landscape and probably to our lives is social media with wow. the exception of how it can get information out yeah but once the conversation starts yeah lord have mercy it's over yeah so conversations on social media go nowhere information on social media help you we that conversation is i mean i, I you know the i don't do any of my social media i hire that done the only social media i look at is linkedin okay so you only have to be on linkedin for like a minute and once somebody starts a conversation you're like okay here we go down the hole yeah game over. So no, we're, we're more interested in face-to-face, one-on-one, and then when you're ready to have a conversation. And when you think about it, the most powerful, most successful people in the world who really move the ball that you've never heard of don't have social media accounts because we're too busy getting shit, stuff done. <laughs> I about said something else. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I, I think that's it. I think the PBE completion uh there your your prediction your effort putting out there and uh and causing these ripples and and you know what you're up against which is interesting to hear you know you know they're not going to listen you know that there's there's still this emotional detachment to what you're bringing to them mm -hmm. but you're planting that seed you're going to nourish the seed by nourishing what you're planting right yeah that's getting back there physically again in front of them 
saying, hey, I'm back. You know, what do you, just yeah. some more information for you. You're just going to be keep going into D.C. Yeah, because what you, you've watched over the last year, I know we're wrapping this thing up wherever this is in the podcast, but mayors have become more of the conversation than at any time in recent history. Mm. If you watch during riots, if you watch during COVID, mayors were everywhere. It doesn't mean they were worth seeing, but, you know, whether it was Portland or Seattle or whatever it might be, and they have become a central piece, and here's why. Most mayoral elections are nonpartisan. You don't run as a Republican or Democrat. You get asked about it, and they know who you are. But it's, we have to deal with this stuff at the local level. We're the ones that have to deal with what you're bringing us. Now you're finding out that mayors are saying, okay, if you're going to do this to me, I'm going to go talk to you about it. And that's why the timing is perfect as well. Mm. For us to show up, and like I said, for me to show up, and sit across the table from a Democrat who, who doesn't know what he's talking about, not because I'm saying something bad about him. He doesn't even have a clue. Like he's from, he's from Missouri, yeah. you know, like he, all he knows about is Branson and Silver Dollar City and, you know, the bald numbers. He doesn't know. And, and when I sit down across from him and tell him, by the way, did you know the world's most secure play in the world, the most secure source of energy is right here in the United States in the Permian Basin? And he says, what are you talking about? Yeah. Then we can start a conversation. Wow. So, Man, right on. And that's the show. Mayor Midland. Awesome. Patrick, thank, thank you, you, Troy. Man. That was it. awesome. Thank you. Yep.